The brothers wish. The brothers wish, brothers wish. The brothers wish. The brothers. You're now listening to Greg. It's the brothers whisper. Hey everybody, this is Greg of the Brothers Wisp number one fifty-five coming to you from the motherland, Texas, in my uh, rearranged little office area here. It may not look different, but I am like three feet to the left. Mm, new and exciting. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else do we have going? We have a couple of new faces. Well, I say new faces. They're becoming quite the regulars. And by regular, I mean I've seen Thrift more than once in the last uh, six months. So yeah. it's regular for oh. him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it when I can get it. So speaking of Andrew Thrift, all the way from Australia. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Love the accent. And we also have Nick Arellano from Illinois. Hi. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Let's get the uh, the other stuff out of the way really quick. We don't have any new patrons, but if you want to be a patron and have me read out your name, you go to patreon.com forward slash the brothers wist. You get access to the patron only Slack and you support uh, me moving my desk left and right. Right. That's that's what funds it. I have to move. Uh, it's very uh, carefully orchestrated process. It requires a lot of supervision, but we also have sponsors. So we are brought to you by Sonar, a scalable, intuitive and comprehensive ISP billing and operational support system. If you want to learn more, you just pop over to sonar.software. We also have tower coverage. Tower coverages are our propagation systems to empower your network. Real-time data metrics enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for customer signup and pre-qualification. Use this data to scientifically plan network expansion and help your WIS succeed. Get a free trial today, towercoverage.com. All right. So I would say first things first, uh, Mikey is not going to be on the cast for quite a while because he had his son today, I think. At least he posted pictures today. Oh. So congrats to uh, Mikey and everybody. Uh, send him. Yeah. Um, congrats, Mike. Yeah, definitely send him uh, emails saying congrats on uh, your kid coming with a pre-built-in SFP. He's ready to go. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear it. All right. So why do we have thrift? We always have thrift for a very specific reason. One, because he's got amazing hair. Look at that chiseled uh, jawline. He's attractive, man. I even did my hair for you today, Greg. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, should I bother doing it? And, I was like, uh -huh. <laughs> and you got the V-neck going. So it's just, man, it's just your proportions are killing me today. You're killing me today. Uh, <laughs> but we usually have him in here when there is a new round of hardware. Uh, from any vendor, really, because he's pretty knowledgeable on that stuff. But generally, on the Microtik stuff, he's got a, a special uh, place in his heart for it. So there was a new round of several different products, and he's here to talk to us in depth about it. And I even actually got off my butt and did a little research myself. Surprise, surprise. Even mm. I surprise myself occasionally. So probably done more than me. Greg. I seriously doubt it. It was like 30 minutes of Googling. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly stuff. I'm sure you already know what it is, wherein me, I don't keep up yeah. with these things. So, uh, <clears throat> so I'm, uh, yeah, so it's all new to me. So let's start out with, uh, I guess the flagship product of this new, uh, newsletter, because all this stuff's in the newsletter, the new announcements, all that stuff. It's the CCR 2216-1G-12XS-2XQ. So what a mouthful. I, it's, it rolls right off the tongue. It's uh, <laughs> simple as can be. I don't know what you're talking about. So tell me a little bit about this product. What makes it interesting and exciting for you? Well, this is Microtech's new baller flagship router. It's basically the replacement for the CCR1072, so it sits at the top of the food chain as far as all of their routers are concerned. What's a bit different about it? Well, it's the first router from Microtech that's got hot swappable power supplies and hot swappable fans, so they've definitely taken all of the feedback, uh, I guess, from people on the forums and Microtech user meetings and that sort of thing. Um, it's also got a significantly improved cooling architecture. So they're, they're really making, I guess, um, generational changes there and improvements. But the big things are this has two times 100 gigabit ports and 12 times 25 gigabit ports on it. So this is the first product from Microtech that's actually got that. Um, as far as I'm aware, they've had no other products with 100 gigabit ports. 
And the other thing is all of these ports are wired to a Marvel switching ASIC so they can forward at wire speed. So this means that if you've got a, uh, a network that's pairing at a, on an internet exchange at 100 gigabit, there's a high chance that traffic will be able to go in one 100 gig port and out to the rest of your network at 100 gig without touching the CPU of the router. So that's fairly impressive in its own right. Um, it can hold up to 120,000 prefixes in the um, ASIC. So a fair number, not as much as I'd like to see, mm. but you know, can't ask for too much at this price point. <laughs> and the big thing is the price point is 2,795 US dollars. So that's about a tenth of the price of a really good discount on a Juniper MX204, which is comparable. So it's really, really well priced. That is mind-blowing, right? Because I, I remember a decade ago, <clears throat> we were talking about 10 gig stuff, like marveling that we might be able to get it like sub 10 grand or something like that, right? And here we are looking at 100 gig interfaces. Well, I mean, 100 gig plus 25 gig interfaces, right? There's, there's nothing bite-sized on this. Like everything is big. Um, it is the standard form factor like of the CCR stuff it looks the same um, you know I was looking at uh, I think it was on serve the home or somebody like that they were showing some comparable I'm, I'm doing air quotes here comparable products and just the amount of chips the amount of heat sinks required on that infrastructure was incredible uh, so to me that says this is low power profile uh, on this piece of equipment I was looking at it max power consumption 128 watts at 120 volts we're talking one amp to run this thing full tilt. That's crazy. It's like, how do you get this much performance? Yeah, it's impressive. Else that they've had. So that's from the combination of, like they've got one of the Amazon Annapurna Labs CPUs in there. So a 16 core ARM V8 CPU, 64 bit of course. And then that's wired straight into the, the Marvel switching ASIC. So it's a pretty simple architecture, but I mean, it's gonna be effective and there's a lot they can do with it. Um, one thing that does stand out, though, to me, I, I guess this is probably the only negative comment, if you can take it as a negative, is uh, straight off the bat, there's no MPLS support on the ASIC. So if you are running MPLS, which a lot of WISPs are, um, that still needs to be processed by the CPU. So it won't be able to be forwarded in hardware on the ASIC currently, but um, they've highlighted in the video, the product video that Yana so uh, graciously did, <laughs> That, that is a future feature that will be coming. Yeah. Yeah. While we're mentioning the video, so, I thought Giannis did a, did a, a really good job. I was uh, ribbing about it because, you know, he said some stuff that made me laugh. And he said, uh, yeah, the uh, marketing department did some punch ups and they wouldn't let me take all of them out. So, <laughs> so it's definitely some of the like phrasing was like, who made Giannis say this? Not to say it's bad. It was just, you know. <laughs> It was not uh, not necessarily authentic to him, but I would say the production value on these videos is like skyrocketed. This stuff looks great. Really good. Oh hell yeah! I'll definitely give him that. So while we're talking about the chipset, you mentioned that it's got the Marvell Prestera 98DX8525, yeah. I believe is what it is. So it's got a code name. Is it Eldrin? I think is what the Microtech guys oh, mentioned. Cool. So. Basically, it is just a Marvel Prestera. It's just got a particular set of features. So all of these code names just mean it's X generation with Y features. So this one here has got the layer three forwarding, layer two forwarding, um, what's what they call eBridge and eRouter, which means it can do the forwarding on the chip. Um, yeah, and the particular layout of it with the ports as well is uh, kind of what makes it special. So having the multiple hundred gig ports, and I think that chipset's actually got 24 times 25 gig ports on it but they're only exposing 12 on the front of the the device and then i guess they've got four going to the uh to the sock and there's probably a bunch that they just couldn't fit on the front of the chassis yeah, or something i'm looking like at it that, says but, uh, on the chipset yeah. 24 ports of 25 gig or uh giggy or six ports of 100 giggy so yeah. it is i mean a lot of options bandwidth 1.08 terabits of throughput wire speed 600 million packets mm. per second i mean this is on the chipset not necessarily to say that once Microtech does their Kung Fu, it's going to have that level of performance. Or, I mean, the the features that you read on here, too, that are theoretically capable inside the chipset are pretty interesting. Some of this stuff, yeah. I did a lot of Googling because it's just unfamiliar to me. 
So like <laughs> IEEE 802.1 QBG. Uh, uh, what is that? Uh, EVB or EVB. Yeah, EVB stuff. So I had to look that up. And now that I mention it, it's falling well, out of my head because I was Googling so many things. What is that? Do you remember? I don't okay. agree. It's EVB. edge virtual bridging. Uh, I found it to be kind right. of interesting. It seems like it really ties in with um, like VMware and like your uh, hypervised mm. infrastructure. So it's like this method to where you can have um, have it do uh, like virtual NICs. So it's like you could do 802 dot one ad which is uh, uh what is that like it falls out of my head that's like uh like um uh, q and q there you are golly i can't yeah. remember all these acronyms so it allows you to do like q and q it can also do 802.1q it supports that but then you could do uh q and q um inside of like a vlan i don't know it just allows you to kind of like tag all mm. these things together but it also will like auto negotiate with the hypervisor itself to be able to kind of configure these things very cool yeah it's wacky wild like like i was just reading the spec i was like none of this makes sense i had to find diagrams cause it's like there's too many things going on here to, to really for my tiny smooth brain to understand but it's really interesting once you actually see the diagrams of how it can um, and also natively support kind of backwards compatibility with some of these things. So it's pretty neat. theoretically in the chipset, whether they'll take advantage mm. of that, who knows? Uh, interesting stuff like that. Uh, 802.1BR port extender, right? Isn't that, um, doesn't that allow it to, that's like, um, uh, like a standards based uh, port extender. So you can have something else act as like just kind of one homogenous sort of set of ports for a switch sort of thing. It is. So. Microtech support that already in some of their other products, but say the CRS317 and some of the other CRS3 series can actually act as a port extender to a CCR or to another switch. So you can have one that's like the master and then the other ones are like slaves. It's kind of like stacking, but a bit more primitive um, in that all of the layer two frames are forwarded up to the master. Ah, so there's pros and cons to that, but it's the standards based way of doing it. Um, I think Marvell and a couple of other vendors came up with it as a really low-cost way to do um, kind of topper rack switches and that sort of thing because they didn't need as big a CPU in them. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a success it's been, but certainly it's kind of a useful mm. technology. And There's also the else based. in the forwarding engine notes on this chipset. It's talking about dynamic load balancing for optimizing elephant flow distribution. And so I had to look that up. Like, what's the difference between a, a mouse yep. flow and an elephant flow? And... Right, it's just the size of information you're transmitting <laughs> in a single flow. An elephant being a big one, which yeah, we're working for a <laughs> working for a firewall vendor. I'm quite What's the familiar concept with of this. Like, it's, it's, you've got like big throws, right? Market. And these can so consume a lot of the the time on the wire or whatever. Yeah. your smaller ones can get starved a little bit. Is that the idea? Correct. So an elephant flow is like a basically a line rate flow or near line rate flow, something that's like, say, 10 gig if you're on a 10 gig connection, and it just runs constantly. So if you've got, say, an MRI machine that's streaming data, something insanely high bandwidth, that's considered an elephant flow. Now, a lot of platforms are really struggle with elephant flows in particulars. Um, they'll have like a, a switch sitting in front of the ASICs or the, the CPUs in it, and that switch might have 100 ports on the outside, but internally it might only have 10 or 40 gig ports to the system on a chip. And it really struggles to manage those elephant flows. So you often see a device that's got 100 gig in, but it's bottlenecked by that connection back to the system on a chip to like 25 gig or 40 gig or something like that. Now, other products like uh, this, by the sounds of it, can spread the elephant flows um, and hardware across the connections up to the system on a chip. And it can alleviate yeah, that pretty somewhat. Pretty cool stuff theoretically built right into the chipset so right there and available i wonder if that's do you think that's a yeah. switch they have to turn on do you think that's just on by default like something that's says dynamic load balancing so to me it sounds like something you don't have to turn knobs on necessarily that's wicked i'd say it's just on yeah they'll probably have the option <laughs> to turn not. it off though yeah it's really hard it's really hard with these mobile chips because they're kind of you need an NDA <laughs> to find out exactly what they're doing. So I guess a lot of what I know, 
has either come from things that I've picked up on the Microtic forums or through scouring the internet looking for little tidbits of information about them. Um, yeah, but I'd say just based off other features that's on those chipsets, cool. it's something that's always on. So where do you see this piece of equipment fitting in an environment? Like, I guess, whether it's Enterprise or ISP, I mean, that's going to probably look a little bit different, but um, where do you really see this piece kind of falling in place? Yeah. Uh, definitely as a border router and a distribution router. So if you've got wireless ISP or any sort of ISP where you need to do 100 gig or 25 gig routing to uh, internet exchange, this is the perfect device for that. Or if you need to route up to your transit slash transport providers, um, this is going to be a great router for that. Likewise, if you're running a, uh, I guess, a Ethernet ring network or you, a routed backbone um, and you need more than 10 gigabits, this would be the router to look at because it's got all the redundancy in there and you can run 100 gig between the I was trying the, to look at interface routers. compatibility. I know some of their other equipment shows, um, like the, the CRS 300 series, <clears throat> excuse me, switches. A lot of those show like compatibility with different optics mm. and kind of what sort of works. So do you think you are on these 25 gig ports, do you think you'll have the option to put an SFP plus in there if you just want to hang a 10 gig off? Okay, cool. Yeah, so definitely. It will work. I, I was um, just going to say, like, I, I, I can't can, see it not working. I could see a lot of people wanting to, um, you know, aggregate a bunch of, uh, you know, 10 gig interfaces, you know, because there's 25 ports, right? So, uh, or I don't know about, there's like 12 ports. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's 12 ports. 12. Yeah, so um, it's one thing they highlighted in the introduction video is that you can reuse all your existing power supplies and optics. So I'd say it's going yeah, to be Yeah, I heard him say that, but until I see the writing, it's kind of like, uh, is that really what they meant to say? Was that a bit of a slip? This thing also has um, some M2 slots, uh, M.2 slots. It's got a couple of those. What do you see that being useful yeah, for? So what's interesting about those, and I'll make a comparison with the 2116 here, which is the slightly older router. Um, the 2116, the M2 slots are actually NVMe, so they're PCI Express-based slots. On this one, they're SATA. So I thought that was a little bit odd, and I was kind of wondering, have they run out of PCI lanes? Why did they do that? But the use case I see for that is that you can run like the dude on it or something with a large database. You can run uh, Docker containers on it and use that storage for those. So for years and years, people have been complaining that their weird widgety app won't run on the Micratic or it's not available on the Micratic. Whereas with these and the uh, M2 slots, you can just run a Docker image and put it on. So would you the, suggest somebody cut. on their uh, border drive. router? with 100 gig interfaces running Docker containers and stuff? <laughs> you probably wouldn't share that responsibility, <laughs> that's for sure. That's <laughs> uh, one of those, I think it's one of those uh, features that they put in there to appease people. Um, on a router like this, I don't really see the use case on the smaller routers that people are installing into like a small business or a, a a branch office or something like that, then yeah, I can I can see the use case for Docker there. But on yeah. big boys you like know, this, it like just in my seems mind, like a security like, risk to When me. this is such a key important piece in your environment, run as few things on there as possible. <laughs> only only what's necessary. So it does, uh, what is it? You said it has a um, CPU count of 16, uh, 16 cores running at two gigahertz mm -hmm. each. So, I mean, that's not bad. It's a little bit of, little bit of pep, huh? 16 gigs of RAM too. 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's got some power there. It's got some oomph. And they are saying that it does outperform the 1072s, correct? That's right. Yeah. It's got significantly high performance. Do you remember what the street price like of the 1072s were? Is like this that. comparable? Uh, it is at launch. I'd say it's cheaper now. Um, I don't know what the 1072s go for recently, but I remember they had a fairly big price hike over their life cycle. So, gotcha. uh, this is so do you know some people that are uh, champing at the bit for this kind of piece of equipment? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so a bunch of the wireless ISPs that I used to consult to uh, in New Zealand and Australia really wanted to go beyond Tebit and they just couldn't because there was no Microtech product that did it. 
and stepping up to something like a, a Juniper or a Cisco, the budgets involved and the amount of money involved to do that was just too, too much for them. Mm. Like, uh, and they would have to re-architect their network significantly. So I think this is a really good uh, well, solution um, for those sort of people. What's missing that would make this amazing in your opinion? That's a good question, mate. Oh, I guess V7 being more mature and stable, but... Uh, It is. It's pretty close, yeah. So hardware-wise, if it had a, a larger forwarding information base, e.g. The, the switch chip could hold more routes, that would be great. And if it could do layer 3 forwarding, uh, MPLS forwarding, e.g. Uh, it could take MPLS frames in that had encapsulated layer 3 and forward those on the ASIC, that would also be amazing. But I mean, the price point. <laughs> I just keep coming back to the price point. There's so many things you want, but... The reality is this thing's it's under incredible. Yeah, I mean, so. I honestly didn't know what to expect on the price point, but, you know, 2800 bucks street price, that's pretty good. So I'm assuming it'll be uh, maybe a little bit cheaper, but probably pretty close to that. So I, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, it's an awesome piece of kit, power-wise for sure. And I guess... Curious to see what switches are going to come out. Uh, to support 100 gigabit. Hey, this is almost. This is almost right. guaranteed. So it's it's, gonna it's compelling soon, because right? of the price point. Like, it's not practical for everybody, but um, there's a lot of people I know who have gone through horrible forklifts on the edge when they need to upgrade capacity, and so there's a lot of uh, wisps that would probably be willing to pay this kind of price point to build a really high capacity edge early to not have to like upgrade later, and so this is actually price achievable for most people i mean lots of people were already buying 1072s which is kind of a mistake based on the history of that product um but somebody could actually go in and build especially when switches come out um a highly available 100 gigabit edge that they just don't have to touch if it's in the budget i mean it's just in the realm of possibility because of how cheap it is it's kind of insane it's definitely going to be disrupting and this is just the first product that's 100 gig. So I'm curious what else is hidden behind that, the YouTube yeah. videos. <laughs> oh, I've seen mention of the CRS5 series for about a year now. Uh, and I suspect that we will see those soon mm. and they will have yeah. 100 but that's a That's a great point you've got, Nick. Like the, the future-proofing concept. The idea that um, even if I've only you know, got 10 gig now, I could put this in here theoretically as long as it takes my 10 gig optics and then, you know, it'll carry me to my 25 gig aggregation. And then, you know, someday down the line, I could do hundred gig and it's got a lot of power. Just so, I mean, yeah. I, it, I, I'm having trouble thinking of a network uh, that I have managed or am managing now where this wouldn't be overkill for it, which is exactly what I want. Cause I don't want to have to think mm. about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, honestly, yeah. too, and like my thinking is if they add a knob later on that I really want to turn on, I don't want to have to think whether this hardware is going to be able to handle it or not. So if I've got more power than I need right now, then I know I'm kind of future-proofed in that respect. To some extent, anyway. Yes, <clears throat> I think this is a, a great product, and I'm pretty impressed with it. Like, it's more than I ever thought they would deliver, so... That's cool. I mean, just just hot swap everything was awesome because they went hot swap power supplies to not hot swap to full hot swap. So I hope they keep that up because yeah. that's really compelling, uh, including the fans. Like having all that stuff just swappable is pretty amazing. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that the CCR 2004, the one with the 16 one gig ports on it, that had hot swap power supplies. <clears throat> and then they released the 2116, which didn't have hot swap anything and i was like hey what's going on here and then i've gone the other direction with this where everything is hot swap which is good to see so hopefully they, and they you know in every data center you ever go into every piece of equipment i've touched in the last 10 years has pretty much hot swappable fans and power supplies so this is going to feel right at home next to my rack of whatever it happens to be and then kind of you know outside the isp environment because you know like the the chipset spreadsheet or whatever is showing like, hey, one of our main uses is campus aggregation. Like you've got all these high throughput devices everywhere. I mean, so that could be theoretically top a rack 
I mean, it is a, you know, basically a switch under the, under the hood. So you could do a lot of really fast aggregation and then route in hardware on that. So, I, I mean, I could just see it in a lot of different environments. That's right. There's a lot of good price point, uh, like gray market switches in 25 gig density, like some of the Dell switches. So like just having a Microtech router that has the port speed and you could use those switches that some people are already purchasing, like the Force 10s or the product series with the 25 gig ports. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, except those things don't run at one amp. They don't. <laughs> Which is crazy. <laughs> All right, so that wasn't the only hardware announcement. I mean, that's a that's a big one. That's uh, definitely, I would say, game changing, especially, you know, in a lot of um, naysayers minds, you know, where they had like this default footprint of a, what is it like a Juniper MX series. Now there's something else that, you know, just kind of, I, I would almost say came out of left field uh, from Microtech that's uh, interesting, but I digress. We have more hardware announcements. So one um, that I am still somewhat struggling to find out where it fits in is the uh, <laughs> CCR2004-1G-2XS-PCIe. So it's basically a PCIe card that also doubles as a Microtik router, right? Yep. When I saw this, <laughs> I was like, why? And then uh, I looked into it a little bit further. <laughs> And I was like, actually, this is a damn good idea. Like, it's a PCI card that has basically PCI NIC interfaces facing the host, and they're connected to a full CCR2004 series router that's on the same card, like a half-height card with all of this functionality. And then on the back of the card, it's got two 25-gig ports and a single 1-gig port. Now, what's really funky is they've got some mechanism to do a direct pass-through of those 25-gig ports <laughs> to the PCI bus, and it will mirror the connection state. So if the connection's up on the outside port, it'll be up on the PCI bus and, and, and so on. Um, so I'm not sure how they've done that, but that's quite interesting. But what really tweaked my interest with this was the fact that you can use this to terminate things like uh, MPLS or act as a layer 3 firewall in front of virtual machines. You could terminate uh, uh, VXLAN, uh, MPLS, the whole works on this card, um, and it's separate from your hypervisor host. And yeah, it's going to allow you to offload that and not have to worry about it at the hypervisor level. You can instead do it with router OS and be familiar with the, the user interface and the operating system. And yeah, it's a very and cool product. And a lot of that functionality, like theoretically, if you're building a bunch of, uh, you know, hypervisors, VM hosts, right, that's going to support some kind of interesting infrastructure, yep. you could use some form of automation to have all of this controlled for you, you know, and especially with communication between Correct. the hypervisor and this directly, or I don't know, you probably, hmm, would you have a centralized controller or would you have the hyper? Well, if you made the hypervisor do the communication to the, to the, to the PCI card, that's a router, uh, then uh, that's all mm -hmm. independent local configuration. So you could pick one of these up and drop it in. If that thing completely tanks, you just put another one in its place. And I mean, then it becomes just, one piece that's interesting like i don't know i hadn't really thought about like the full use cases for this because it was just so bizarre i like i couldn't i couldn't um pick my jaw up off of four or maybe uh unbug my eyes trying to figure <laughs> out what this did but yeah you're right it's like the idea that it can act as just a standalone router right i mean it could just be a router or you could just pass through that functionality straight in the device uh it's also got that gig port but i think that comes off of yeah. kind of like a bridge with like a management. So it looks like there's two extra interfaces inside one that's bridged to the ethernet. And then one that's another one that's just for management or that's something right. akin to that. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so on the outside, there's that one gig ethernet. I think that's like for doing net installs and kind of getting access to it easily. And then on the inside, there's four NICs by the looks of it. Uh, two are bridged straight through to the 25 gig ports and then two go into that same bridge with ether one but you can um, split it up and carve okay, these that up makes however sense. you want yeah so i'm looking um, at the block diagram down. they didn't have a block yeah. diagram for um, this card directly but i looked at the one for the 2004 just the regular 2004 and it's got the same uh, chipset in there the al32400 mm. and it's got two 25 yep. gig 
lanes coming off of. And I guess that's going one to each one of those interfaces. And then it's got uh, one one gig lane coming off. So that's going to be, I mean, yeah. So they basically just took the lanes and directly mapped them to physical interfaces. So just straight off the straight off the chip. That's pretty neat. So I see a lot of use cases for this, but um, <clears throat> the one that kind of interested me was that terminating like VXLAN tunnels or or something into VMs, just because it's it's a pain in the backside to do that on like a Proxmox host or a VMware host, yeah, and, and this just the problem go away. That's interesting. I heard That's somebody right. say it's that priced, even though. if you wanted it to act just as a twenty-five gig interface, it's still sometimes cheaper than going out and buying a dedicated card just for that. That's what I was gonna say. I think these have got a these have got an RRP of like one ninety nine US dollars or something like that. So the price point it's is pretty attractive. Um, there's nothing else out. They did say that there are some caveats with this thing, right? So one of them happened to be um, it is a router, right? So whenever it boots up, it's gonna boot up mm. slower. Uh, theoretically than maybe the host hypervisor or whatever. So um, your hypervisor may be up and ready for utilization, but that interface didn't come up. So you might have to do a little Kung Fu, uh, what they say, at a PCI device initialization delay in the BIOS. Or I think they also somewhere specified, here's some uh, Linux commands you can add in that will kind of uh, clear it out and then refine those devices. So maybe a little bit of Kung Fu you got to do uh, here and there to make it work. Yeah, so a lot of server BIOSes do have the ability to delay the boot based on a PCI device. Uh, that's going to be pretty clunky and you're going to have to do it in the BIOS and get the DRAC or ILO and muck around to find the setting. The other option is the one that they provided in the newsletter where you can basically add a string to, I think it's a grub or whatever bootloader you're using, and it will pass it to the kernel and delay the boot. Um, one thing I'm surprised that Microtik didn't do was add a um, PCI option ROM to this. You know how like um, SAS and SCSI HBAs, when you turn on a computer or a server, you'll see that screen pop up where it's detecting the drive <clears throat> before the BIOS comes up. They could quite easily do a similar thing with this where it pops up a screen, does like a 20 second or 30 second mm -hmm. countdown before it goes to the rest of the boot process. And that would be handled external to the, the server's operating system or BIOS. Um, I think that would be a really good option to kind of let the card boot before the machine does the rest of its boot cycle. And it's compatible with old traditional BIOS as well as UEFI. Um, so I think that would be a good option. I don't know if they're going to have that in the future or, um, yeah, what the story is. But it's that's interesting. I, I never, like, that didn't even occur to me. I wonder in that mode, could you actually have it uh, break in to the CLI on the card itself? So have it boot and then connect into the. To like, um, you know, yeah, just the CLI of Microtech if you wanted to. It definitely could. So um, when it loads option ROM, just like on the HBAs, it can use the I2C bus or SPI bus to communicate with the operating system on the card. So the card could actually tell the option ROM when it had booted and let it continue to boot the machine. Um, so that would be an option there too. But um, I don't know if this is something Microtech have looked at or if it's uh, on a future roadmap, but it would certainly be a really good move if they do that. It'll it improve like the user experience. <laughs> Plus, it's like, you know, a serial yeah. connection right <laughs> into the device. So you could theoretically get in there and fix something yeah. you know, if it goes wrong. You know, you do uh, a firmware upgrade and it doesn't, you know, doesn't go according to plan. At least you have some kind of recourse. Like, yeah, like if you have an IPMI or a, a DRAC or something, then you would be able to backdoor and you know, basically see the screen and fix whatever it happened to be and go on with your life. That would be cool. Hmm. Would be. So um, that's a cool product, but they had two others as well. I'll jump on to the next one, which was the, was it the CRS310-1G5S-4S plus IM? It's even longer <laughs> than the 2216 price train. Um, Basically, this is a replacement for the CRS212, which was pretty popular back in the day. It's an all-fiber desktop switch. Um, pretty interesting port layout. It's got five 1 gigs uh, SFPs and four 10 gig SFP+. And I was kind of thinking, that's odd. <laughs> I wonder why they've done it that way. I would have kind of expected to see two SFP+, and eight 
uh, one gig SFPs, but I guess the use case for this is that you could create a like a ring or distribution network between buildings and deliver five customers within that building with one gig fiber connections, or you could have two fiber connections going into a building, feed two customers in that building with 10 gig, and then another five with one gig. So gives you a few options there. Um, this is based on the same Marvell Prostera chipsets, which seem to be so common with Micratic now. And uh, it's got a basic layer three feature set within it, as well as the, the standard layer two forwarding uh, and a small CPU. So if you wanted to do some very basic uh, NAT and, and router OS functionality on it, you can. Um, the big thing with this is it does run router OS. It's not running switch OS. So it's nice and small. Yeah, and it's, and it's coming in at a street price set. of around 200 bucks too. Right. Yeah, I didn't even yeah price. that's it's pretty, pretty good, good, especially when you look, max power consumption is 20 watts. It's, it's just, it's incredible. It's even got yeah. a, a fan built in on this one. So if you've got it hidden back in a corner, you know, in a storage room or something like that, it'll still at least be able to cool itself to some extent. It looks like it's got two uh, two inputs. It's got one DC jack. I mean, this is, we've come like you know, accustomed to seeing this. It's got the DC jack input and then a PoE input on the uh, the Ethernet port, the management port. So that's, that's right. standards based AFAT on that. Um, standard, everything else. You know what else I noticed? A serial port, a an RJ45 serial it. port. So big props to, to Mikrotech. I love it. I love, and I like that it's RJ45 and not like so a it's good to see that. Yeah. Those DB9s are so annoying nowadays because, uh, yeah, if you want to connect them to a console, you need an adapter, and then your rack door generally won't close <laughs> because the adapter hits the rack door. So I'm yeah. quite happy to see that. And this is definitely a switch. So it's a small device, one CPU, 800 megahertz. Yeah, so this is this is going to be a switch. But again, like you said, full router OS, so it's going to be able to take advantage of all of the cool features that you have grown accustomed to. There are really so many products at once. This one's kind of been overshadowed by the, the big boys, but uh, yeah. it's still a and very cool product. you can get rack gears for it. So even though it is you know a desktop form factor, it's still rack mountable if you want it to be. And you could turn those rack yeah. gears sideways and just screw it to a wall. I mean, that's how I see it being utilized. You just screw this tiny little thing to the wall, be done with it, you know, have some fire, uh, fire resistant. Uh, that's normally <laughs> what we do here. It'll be like a piece of fire resistant uh, plywood in the telecom room. Turn the ear sideways, screw it in, you know, go get coffee and donuts. So, Greg, where would you Me, use a product I could like see this? this? Oh, man, I could just see it in a lot of different places. I could see it being a NID in a building. So if I'm doing uh, property, and so some of the properties that I've been chasing, they're a combination of an MDU, right? Like, so it's apartment or multifamily living, but then also ringing around it is commercial space, right? Kind of out away. And so... Yeah, this would give me the ability to uh, pop this in one of those commercial buildings and then I could aggregate all of my users because in those buildings, you know, 90% of the lighting is going to be, um, or traditionally it was fluorescent. Now it's a lot of LED stuff, but I also don't know what the environment's going to look like. Mm. Um, usually things are outside of Ethernet distance. So if I've got this in here, I can really account for kind of any situation as well as like you mentioned, the extra 10 gig ports, I've got <laughs> ring capabilities so I can start. Um, completing some stuff, adding a little bit more um, redundancy into those environments. How about you, Nick? I, I bet you guys can see um, at your current uh, employer, you guys do a lot of fiber aggregation at towers and stuff like this. Is this something that's interesting to you? Yeah, um, Microtech's done a really good job at the like higher density ports uh, for switches. Um, but there's a lot of tower sites where um, it's all solar and battery only. And so having something that is uh, doesn't have as many 10 gig ports, like we've been using a ton of the 317s and the 309s. So this is just a little bit smaller, um, less power draw, um, and uh, you know the Nettonic switches and stuff. They only support one gig, so there's a handful of one gig ports to pop in there. Extra 10 gig ports for backhauls mm. or the connection to the router. So it's it's pretty nice. Uh, probably most of the smaller sites. Uh, that aren't using like a 1036 we could definitely use a switch like this so i think it's great just it's more options more port density options you don't have to always buy something that's too big yeah and and two i mean we said it's got five standard sfp ports and four sfp pluses 
you could still put SFPs in, you know, three of those SFP pluses. So you could still have, you know, eight SFPs coming off of one 10 gig interface. So, you know, it's just, I, I love how much flexibility it gives you, right? It's there if I need it. Even if in most of my environments right. I'm not going to utilize it, it's still there. So I've got options. I can really dig that. Yeah. Now, um, it would be really cool to see a version of this that had, say, eight 1 gig PoE or 2.5 gig PoE ports and then two 10 gig uplinks. Because, <laughs> like, to next use case, you can put it at a small tower, DC power it, power all your radios, and then backhaul it over fiber to. I guess your main location it would be a really cool switch. And I know Microtech have got outdoor switches that can do that, but uh, a lot of, I guess, WISPs are not deploying the switches outdoors. They want them in a cabinet so it's nice and dry and safe and they can get to it easily when there's a storm or and they can run power to it more easily as well. So, yeah, different use cases. But uh, I think an indoor version of uh, this that has the... Um, the one gig PoE well, what you're talking about really good PoE one gig ports. I believe this one can do some layer three hardware offloading. So that actually, I mean, you could use this as like a tower router, right? Can. Be able to aggregate. I mean, one device. Definitely. You don't have to have a router and a switch and do all that stuff. You just replace it with this and it takes care of everything. So one thing that hasn't really been covered uh, in the past by Microtech, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at, is um, you can actually use these switches as a DHCP server. You can allocate IPs to your customers that are on VLANs, and then the switch will actually do all of the routing. It doesn't need to tunnel it back to a central location to terminate PPPoE. It can do it all at wire speed. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good use case and, and not one that I've really heard people talking about, but um, this switch would be ideal for it or yeah, even the, I've, the VLE I've done the exact thing um, on a couple of different networks. I liked it, uh, kind of the distributed nature of it, so that if my uh, centralized PPPoE server went down, you know, my entire network is down. Whereas if each tower is running it, and I just happen to have a problem at that site, it's only, you know, it limits the blast radius, I guess, a bit. It does big time. So um, most of the ISPs that I've consulted to in the past have actually moved it to that model where they're running the concentrator at the tower router. For that exact reason, the blast radius is smaller. Um, the downside is it adds quite a lot of complexity, but mm. yeah, the and benefits are especially to once it. you start making these things cookie cutter, the complexity really goes down because it's the same thing everywhere. Correct. That's right. So yeah, like I generally create a script that the um, Wisp owners could actually just paste into a new router, and it would work everything out. They just had to put in like I think three different IPs, and it would do the rest for them. And yes, it's not that. The hard part's getting into the document everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Weakest link is the ink that goes to contracts as well as documentation. All right. Well, <laughs> we said there was product, and I noticed there was something else. I think it was in this newsletter as well. They released an, yet another um, 60 gigahertz product. It's the Cube 60 Pro, and they have the Cube SA Pro as well. Well, and it also says... Oh, let me get the whole thing right. Cube 60 Pro AC, Cube SA 60 Pro AC. And so you can buy uh, the Cube 60 Pro AC, which is point to point, I believe. And you could even get it into a pack where they're pre-configured, uh, kind of like you used to be able to do with a wireless wire. Yeah, wireless as well wire. as the SA is uh, like a, uh, a base station, I guess. It's kind of like a... Uh, sectorize or no well, yeah sectorized it's like wider angle for multiple clients to connect is that right god i yeah there's a there's an ap unit and then a, um a, a higher gain unit for the pro in the, in these two different right. they released so the new cool thing about these are they are 802.11 ay right the new standard uh, they also have the fallback mm. to 5 gigahertz uh, it's an interesting design. They look super industrial. I mean, they they almost look... Looks all metal, which is why I've been a fan of Microtech stuff, like the wireless stuff for a long time. Everyone craps on them, but if you've ever held like a net metal in your hand with the metal enclosure and SFPs on it, like they just build their stuff a lot better than some of the other WISP products, even if it's not as user-friendly. I mean, 
this this device you could put a sticker on the front and it, it does like kind of look like or like um if this was mounted on a <laughs> utility pole you'd think it was one of those radar guns <laughs> you know like taking a picture of you speeding or something um it does i yeah. mean it's very industrialized design the new uh, it's kind of a new mount design it looks like it's made of aluminum as opposed to uh, as opposed to steel i'm assuming maybe that's part of a heat sinking i'm not sure because it kind of has that heat sink aesthetic or whatever um, one thing of note is that it's got a uh, one gig copper ethernet port coming off of it and uh, that's how you poe power it as well does that surprise you uh, either nick or andrew uh for for this first product i i don't think so it, it's hard to say because i mean I think they were one of the first to talk about like the Terragraph initiative, but never released products. And then with these products, they said in software, these are going to be like Terragraph compatible. So I, um, I imagine there's going to be some bigger stuff with some 10 gig ports. But I think some of the use cases that they drew up, they were expecting you to get that higher capacity over the RF side on the AP mm. rather than the port. Um, I'm just excited to see yeah. them do more wireless products in 60 i think the form factor looks nice like they're they're really small uh they look a lot more professional than some other equipment but i'm just curious where this is going to go uh long term especially on the telegraph side of things yeah i have a bit of a bit of an opinion here i was very surprised to see that they were only one gig uh not so much on the 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 little unit but on the sector antenna like that's the base station, and it's only got a one gig connection on it, so you're kind of hamstringing your 802.11a wire there. And uh, also a bunch of the other vendors' products, e.g. Cambium, do have higher speed ports on the base station and the CPE. So I was kind of interested that Microtech hadn't looked at the rest of the market and kind of built their product to match them. But at the same <laughs> time, there's price point. <laughs> and again, this is cheaper than anything else out there. And it looks pretty well made. So only having a one gig port is so the the sectorized one is yeah. street price about one ninety nine, and the uh, just the regular yeah. like cube one, just the standard one. It's weird. It's got kind of um, like an overhang on the top. What would you call that? Almost like a shroud that kind of hangs. So it does. It kind of resembles like an old security camera, like you'd see back in the day. <laughs> yeah, Slap a sticker. But those are coming in at street price of like 150 bucks. So you know, a pair of these for the point to point would be, you know, right under $300. And they're saying on these, since they unlocked the fifth channel, what did they say? Like 2.4 kilometers. So like a mile and a half on these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Not only did they say that, but they said <laughs> like stable. So that was an interesting word. So it does have the fallback to five gigahertz, but they're saying, you know, a mile and a half stable. That's pretty impressive for something that appears to be, you know, the size of a Kleenex box or a small Kleenex box. Actually, maybe, I don't know. What would you liken that size to the size of your fist? I got big meat hooks. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's I'm right. looking for dimensions on this thing. Where is the where are the dimensions? Maybe it's in the supporting documentation. Let me look at the product brochure. Brah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the the 2016 uh there's no block diagram but there is like a just a PDF of the dimensions of the box like mm. height width and depth. I thought that was kind of weird. I wonder if they're just behind on the the official block diagram documentation. But I don't see any the so, says it's uh, 115 mil by 95 mil by yeah. 82 mil, so it's is pretty tiny. By like nine by eight, yeah, that is really small. Yeah, but even like Cambium and Sickly, they've got uh, their CPE device. There's a 10 gig variant, and there's one that's only one gig. But they they both I think have more than one copper port. So I'm I'm curious. I mean. Mm. Uh, in, at least in the Terracraft space, Cambium's got like 140 degrees on their AP, and then Cyclo's got the 490s in the trash can sort of form factor. They're also considerably more power draw, so I don't know uh, what is coming down the pipeline for that type of product. I was thinking about this, Nick, and I kind of thought maybe they're just going to have two or three of these connected to a net power and use that to do the um i guess to build the 
omnidirectional solution rather than having a single box that points in all directions. Mm. But um, can you? I mean, I knows? don't have any experience with them. The N race. Do you? I mean, how would you compare these to the N ray device? So CPU wise, they're much weaker. They're basically gone from 64 bit system on a chip um, that was, I think, quad core back to the IPQ4019. It's the same CPU as in the HAP AC2 and a bunch of their other kind of lower end um, products. Um, the differences this has got the 802.11aY radio so the radio is obviously a lot better um, the other thing is with the nray um, it, it has the capability even though microtech are not using it hmm. to run a 2.5 gigabit port um, with poe so i was i was quite surprised that they hadn't just used that same form factor and uh, system on a chip with the newer radio um, but this product may have been in development for a lot longer than yeah the that's one thing i, I was thinking it's like you know, maybe they were waiting on supply chain issues uh, to resolve before they could start spitting this stuff I mean, out. Right? That's right. These products were uh, on the table in previous YouTube videos, and they weren't talked about. They were just kind of propped there. So who knows how long they've had them? Yeah, and Microtech have been talking about Teragraph for years and years now. So this is well, the first sign that it's actually I coming hear, to fruition. Did I hear tale that um, exciting. Facebook is kind of abandoning? Uh, Terragraph and saying, all right, I've started it. You guys go forth and prosper now. Is that what I've sort of heard? <laughs> I've heard those murmurings. Yeah. Uh, Meta. Nothing substantiated though, Greg. Well, I uh, I saw a post the other day that since uh, Facebook renamed to um, Metaverse that they've lost $500 billion in value. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me if they were letting some stuff go like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe we won't put so much time and attention, AKA money into those side projects anymore. So that the basis of Teragraph is basically their open R platform. Um, so it was invented for Teragraph and then they've used it across the rest of their routing thing. It's basically like a routing engine that uses Redis and a bunch of other technology to exchange routes without using BGP and OSPF. So the Teragraph products um, from Cambium and Ciclu are built on, on that routing uh, mechanism. Um, and now Facebook have opened it up to the world um, and I guess people can go and implement it. I've always thought that it was kind of reinventing the wheel. Um, there's a bunch of other routing protocols out there that have got just as good a functionality Maybe not quite as, uh, I guess, modern, e.g. they don't have REST interfaces and, and they're not using, I guess, uh, JSON to exchange data and that sort of thing. But protocols like even OSPF can do a fairly good job or there's HWMP Plus or OLSR or Babel's a really good option to, to create these small mesh networks between the devices. And then you can create an overlay between them using protocols that Microtech already support. <laughs> Um, you don't need to go out and implement all these new fancy things that are kind of unproven and and have uh, limited support from the industry. That was just my personal opinion, but I mean, I haven't implemented Teragraph, so maybe it's got some magic that I don't see. Well, the fun part about uh, Teragraph products specifically in the WISP industry is uh, most of the, the promises aren't even built into the software yet. So, I mean, like, so for example... Uh, Ciclu, I think theirs is their own proprietary take on the Teragraph model of having the mesh, uh, but the mesh is not available in software right now. Um, I think it's like, I don't know if it's second or third quarter of this year, it's supposed to be on the pipeline. It doesn't have SNMP support yet on those devices. Um, so I think that, uh, some of the WISPs, or not WISPs, uh, some of the vendors are sort of supporting the Facebook model, and then they're also doing their own proprietary model, which I thought was kind of interesting. So maybe they knew ahead of time that this might not be long-term supported, because I think on the Facebook model, they have their own infrastructure hosted that you can use for some control or something that they're talking about potentially not supporting anymore, so you won't be able to use that system. Um, but I, was, I talked to Ciclu a little bit about their product specifically and what's coming down the pipeline. And so they, they like the layer two failover model and they want to try to 
use software to figure out how much uh, signal loss there is per sector and try to use that for some intelligence to tr sort of move traffic around. But it's not yeah. even in the software. You can't play with it. You can't touch it. It's just something that they're working on right now. And they're trying to tightly integrate it with their um, their management platform. And so their goal is to give you uh, a wireless system that you can deploy. Most of the uh, traffic moving and, and adjustments for cost and the way that the system works, they want to try to tightly integrate that into their software platform. So you just have to worry about deploying it, handing off to customers, and then there's probably going to be some light configuration, but um, they're talking about testing some latency stuff, testing some capacity stuff, and sort of automatically, based on how many hops, allowing it to fail over on its own, which is kind of the whole sell of Terragraph is having that self-healing uh, mesh system, obviously the capacity as well. Um, but nobody has a full product delivered that like has all that stuff yet, but they're to market, so. Yeah. See, the way I always saw it is there's been so many attempts at doing meshes in the past, and the only thing I could see Terragraph bringing was that it was 802.11ay, so it had more bandwidth. The feature set didn't seem to really be any better than anything else. It's just that it was controller-based and had integrated telemetry. Or at least that's the promise, right? Yeah, I mean, the... And lots of marketing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, the distances is... is uh, things get really weird, too, because... Uh, Everything on the marketing, like if you want that, you got to be well within 100 meters. So as long as you're you're nice and close, you can get um, something like two gigabit symmetrical uh, per sector, and there's four sectors. And then they're, they're going to have some channel bonding options if you want to connect between the nodes, or if you want to use a long range device. Um, but yeah, it's it's confusing for mm -hmm. people who have never dealt with that type of model, and it's not really built yet. So yeah. people have to sort of build the network in such a way that they can sort of transition to the meshing later, but they have to deal with not having that on the table now as they deploy hardware. So it's a little, little weird right now. That's the speeds and stuff. Like maybe they should put in their marketing. Uh, if you can throw a rock from the base station and hit somebody, you can get these speeds otherwise, and then start caveating it from there. Cause uh, yeah, <laughs> like a hundred meters is not very far. Yeah. It's supposed to be density and close. Yeah. It's supposed to be density. It's not supposed to be like, long-haul deployments like most people are used to. This is meant to be nice and close. Uh, you're supposed to have the um, the access point sort of within range of each other for that healing mechanism, but it, it's expensive. And so if you wanted to do um, a high-density city the, the, between the planning and how much hardware you need, as soon as you start stretching those links pretty long, you kind of cripple the whole sector. Mm. All right. Well, let me roll back to uh, the Cube60 before we put that to bed because I want to ask one question of both of you guys, if you were to change this product in some way to make it perfect, what's that change look like? I mean, bigger ports, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. it yeah. makes sense higher, to have a bigger port. bandwidth on that output port. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yep, so uh, the changes I'd make would probably change the system on a chip to the one from the NRAY or even the one from the CCR 2004, if they can get the power budget, and then uh, add a SFP plus and a 2.5 gig on the sector, and then on the um, client ones, the little cubes. I mean, they could add both, but uh, I mean, worst case, okay. just add the 2.5 gig. If it, say, gig. for example, it rose the price by 75 bucks per unit, is that acceptable? Hmm. <laughs> I was gonna say if it had 10 yeah. gig ports I mean, and you know you could actually get some decent throughput on this thing. To me, that sounds like a pretty decent deal. Even yeah, I mean, because that's I mean that's always the trade off, right? It's gonna cost more money. Yeah. What's acceptable? I'm just curious. That's right, and I think having like a 10 gig and or a 2.5 is gonna allow people to do higher speed bridges, okay. which realistically is the main use case for this product. Like. Microsoft might have these dreams about multi-point and Terragraph and that, but 95% of people buying them are just going to be bridging two buildings. So the higher the yeah, speed I think of the, the on it, I think the, in the promotional video they said something about, you know, it's like you don't need your wireless wires. This is like the new wireless wire or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that's them, you know, all but saying, hey, yeah, we see you using this as, you know, a virtual wire between two things. So, yeah. 
I mean, $75 might not be much to us in the West, but in places mm. like the Philippines and Indonesia, that might be a lot of money. So they can always just have a different product variation to suit different markets. And that's not, and I mean, points. like, right. This isn't all that's ever going to come out. There could be uh, another cube that just hasn't, you know, seen the light of day yet right? with those ports. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a microtech, so they always dip their toes in the water to. And to all they see ever hear us like say is, "Give me more, give me more." Full but I mean, to that to that end, if we don't say it out loud, how are they going to know? <laughs> you know what we're looking for, right? It's, um, I don't necessarily. I wonder if they do any like market research. I'm assuming they have kind of like a core group of uh, maybe vendors or users that they talk to. But uh, you know, you got to get your voice out there. You got to be heard somehow. Yeah, someone's got to complain. They don't have Microtech user <laughs> meetings at the moment where they've got thousands of nerds harassing them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm assuming they're all going to get used to that, though, not having to travel like madmen like a quarter of the year. So we may not see it the way we used <laughs> yeah. to back in the day. Um, one thing I was going to comment about is on the data sheet for those new pros, um, the little drawings are really cool on them. <laughs> they show basically like a festival set up where the sector antennas up on a pole and then all the kiosks or gazebos or whatever you want to call them are linked back to it. Um, so it shows a really good uh, example of a use case there of, of using it for temporary high-speed access for things like point of sale and that sort of thing. I think they so said, you remember a, festivals? A really cool those will picture. come back one day. These would be great options for that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do remember those. That would be great. <laughs> it would uh, be. For sure. It's <laughs> selling futures it's, again. I mean, boy, it's all coming back. Slowly but surely, it's all coming back. Uh, faster over here than over there, uh, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all heading in the right direction, at least. All right, man, I think that is all of the new hardware that was a lot of new hardware there's a lot to talk about there Are you uh you excited about the direction they're moving definitely yeah that's yeah. a great sometimes they do stuff that's just hitting. exhausting it's like why are you doing this again you know come on let's let's but it, like to me all of this felt good again the um that new 2004 is still breaking my brain a little bit but uh i think it's a cool product hopefully it finds um i mean it feels a bit like a a solution looking for a problem but i think it could be really great and cool so yeah the amount of interest out there in it is pretty high like the serve the home guys are interested in it obviously linus tech tips have already shown interest in it so even if um if new users are bought to the Microtech platform because of the price point and they're just going to use it as a nick at least they're finding out, out about Microtech and how powerful it is so you think the, i think uh, that's good just you think that pci that 2004 will be able to run docker at some point <laughs> should you run docker on it is uh, maybe the better will. question um because <laughs> i could think of a few really I can think crazy of a few demos cases. that i could make um you know, because like my day job is automation. So the idea of like the crazy Kung Fu you could do with something like this is, is really like it gets me excited to it's, think about. It's very compelling to do some local processing of like telemetry and data to like for management, like having a way to tunnel from that container to a cloud platform that is sort of secure manage the interface you can apply a firewall between it that's really compelling because you could you know compile something in like go or something embedded and slap it on a container and now you've got a really powerful um management plane like sidecar i guess but on these the things, do they have do they but have it's going to be abused no it's uh it's not <laughs> no it is an arm process right it's like 64 bit arm all right which means it'll run zero tier it does so, yeah. i mean it could like zero tier your drac you drop this thing in you know, create a seat like this. Oh man, you can do all kinds of crazy, weird things with this. You could upgrade your whole home to 25 days. <laughs> exactly. Just buy the router, buy a bunch of cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll melt my 56K internet connection computer. for sure. <laughs> all right, man. Well, 
I don't know that uh, I have anything else to talk about. I think I think that was that, that felt like a mic drop to me. Do you guys have anything cool, new, interesting, different you want to talk about? Um, one thing I will bring up is um, if you've been following the Rotoverse V7 development, it's really starting to pick up pace now. So uh, you can now do VRFs semi-reliably in Rotoverse V7. Um, they're fixing a bunch of BGP issues and just general, I guess, hardware-related issues um, on it. Um, so, yeah, it's worth looking at if you haven't yeah, really I saw in, it. Um, in, um, our, uh, in our Slack group on the Microtech one, a couple of guys were talking about the uh, CCR 2004s. Now that they're running on version 7, they've been super stable, super reliable. Um, I think somebody said they're pulling one or two full BGP feeds on one. So they haven't had a hiccup, which is really good news. Exceptionally good. I think the, the regular 2004 is what's like a five, $600 device somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Awesome. Price. Yeah. Somewhere around there. All right. Well, uh, I say we stick a fork in it because I know we only, we only, uh, borrow Andrew Thrush. We never, we don't own him. We only get to, to pull him off the shelf every now and then, but then we have to put him back just the way we found him. So Andrew Thrift, if folks out on the internet want to get a hold of you, uh, interact with you in some fashion, uh, get um, you know hair tips, whatever it is. You know, how would you have them do that? <laughs> um, they can join the Little Brothers Wisp, uh, Wisp Patreon and then join our Slack channel. That would be fantastic. I'm happy to talk to you there. Uh, can, Otherwise, you can uh, find Nick me Carolina, on LinkedIn. Where can uh, folks find you on the internet? You can, as of course, you can reach out on the uh, Little Brothers Wisp Slack group. And you can email me at nick.a at pay.com. <laughs> All right. You guys can find me at greg at gregsoul.com, where I very regularly blog. Although I haven't done anything except for um, be a, a sales engineer here uh, lately. It's crazy. I'm actually having to work for a living. This is ridiculous. It's not why you go to sales. You don't go to sales to work, Thrift. You lied to me. Uh, but anyway, I do regularly blog there. Uh, if you guys have any questions or comments, it's... You can hit my email address, contact us at the Brothers List. It all goes to the same place. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Thank you, uh, Thrift. Thank you, Nick. And we'll see you guys next time. You hit stop.